This is Brother John Metter, and I thank you for joining us. And last week, as I was closing the broadcast, you know, I was dealing with uh, the miracles that God wrought for the children of Israel when He brought them out of Egypt. They saw great uh, plagues and great destruction in Egypt, and then God brought them out, uh, or the Egyptians drove them out, uh, that last night with the death of the firstborn when everyone that wasn't covered by the blood of the lamb uh, over their doorpost and lentils, the firstborn died. And But anyway, I was in the book of Exodus, the 14th chapter, uh, in the 24th verse. Let me go back up just uh, a couple of verses and let me see. Uh, verse 22, And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on the left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillow of fire and the pillow of cloud and troubled the host of Israel. Now, if you'll serve God and walk up right before God and commit to following His Word, the Lord will fight for you. He will stand up for you. Uh, he will trouble your enemies. In verse 25, and it said, And took off their chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There were main, not so much as one of them. So whoever went into that Red Sea uh, after Moses and the children of Israel, they drowned when Moses stretched that rod out. And my whole point of preaching this last week was uh, this doesn't work by common sense. This doesn't work by what your eye sees. This works by faith in God. I mean, the Lord told Moses, stretch out your rod. Stretch that stick out. Well, uh, the carnal mind, the natural mind, the common sense would tell you that's not going to do any good. But when you have faith and dare to believe God, it doesn't matter what the natural mind says. It doesn't matter what the carnal mind tells you. Uh, and it, 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 you know, but the children of Israel, verse 29, but the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptian, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So they believed God was with Moses. This was the first great mighty miracle God wrought 
when He brought them out of Egypt. But it was by no means the last miracle God wrote. So the faith of God and the miracle-delivering power of God defies logic. It defies uh, the uh, carnality of man. It defies the very thing of man's reasoning. That's the reason I was telling you that man in his own reasoning and understanding to God is foolishness. As wise as man is in their, their greatest wisdom, their greatest knowledge and all the things that they have accomplished in the, the very, uh, you get to the very depths of the knowledge of man and in, into their wisdom and into their great knowledge and the Bible says it's foolishness unto God. You don't have anything that God has not imparted unto you. So we cannot serve God by the wisdom of man. We can't serve Him by the knowledge of man. But we have to serve Him in fear and reverence of who He is. He is the Almighty. He is the Creator. He is the great I Am. He is He that created all things. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist according to the Word of God in uh, the Gospel of John, the first chapter. I, I mean, it, 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 you've got to know that what God does is by His Spirit. It's not by man's reasoning or knowledge. And it says in John 1 and 1, In the beginning was the Word. We know if we go back to the beginning, back to Genesis uh, 1, uh, and it says, And God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And uh, the Spirit of God moved. And God said, that's the Word. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him there was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So all things that was made was made by Him. Are you hearing me? It was made by Him. And let me see if I can get where I want to go. Uh, in Colossians 1 and 1. And uh, go there. I don't know why. Okay, I see. The, uh, I do all this stuff on my laptop. Uh, and I'm trying to get over there to my scripture for some reason. It's, it's not letting me go there. It's got the scripture pulled up, but it's not letting me go there. Let me see if I can get there another way. Uh, but I was looking for that scripture that by Him all things consist. Let me see if I can type that word and bring it up uh, in my concordance. Because... God is all in all. He's all being. He's all wisdom and knowledge. Yeah, and it is in Colossians 1 and verse 17. And you go back 
uh, to verse 16. Well, let's just go on back and read all about Jesus uh, and the Spirit of God that lived in him. Uh, go to verse 13. It says, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Say it just don't say forgiveness. It says we're redeemed. We're bought back. He bought us back from the devil. His blood forgive our sins, but his body redeemed us. And we've been we've been purchased by his body from the devil, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, or all things, uh, they exist. Why? Because he created all things. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. In other words, he conquered all things. He conquered all things, church. He, he conquered everything. Uh, and then you go on down to verse 19. said, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And I want to go uh, back to a scripture. I had this ready to minister on last week. And like I said, doesn't do me any good to mark Scripture because the Spirit of God gets in things and God starts moving in, in, in situations. And next thing I know, God's taking me somewhere else. But in Romans the 8th chapter, in the 10th verse through the 14th verse is where I want to go. And Paul is saying, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, this is where God wants to take us. Uh, I know many people, uh, they repent, they live a good life, but still that sin nature is there, and they do commit sin. And they repent, they get forgiveness, and that is what the blood of Jesus is for. But Paul is saying here, if Christ be in you, and there is a measure of Christ that we can receive. We haven't received it yet. I believe we're headed toward it. That the sin nature's dead. You are not bothered by sin. You're not tempted. Uh, you know, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, He no longer has that carnal mind tempted Him. You said, Brother Metter, the look, the Bible plainly says in Hebrews, He was tempted at all points, like as we are, Yet without sin he came made in the likeness of sinful flesh. For him to be made like us and to be tempted like we are, then the carnal mind had to be there to tempt him and to war against him. I didn't say he sinned. I said it warred against him. And he had to face the temptations we faced. If he was tempted in all points like as we are, he had to face the same temptations that we face. If he didn't, he could not be our example. Jesus is my example because I believe he was conceived in the womb of Mary. I believe he grew for nine months a flesh and bone and blood 
child and she birthed him. She birthed him as a man. She birthed him and he grew. Uh, and he waxed strong in spirit, according to Luke 2.40. And he grew in wisdom and knowledge. And he found favor with God and man. But he did not come down here with as a God with power over all power of Satan. And I know people don't like to believe it. And they teach against it. I cannot stand this teaching that says he was 100% man and could have sinned. But he was 100% God and couldn't have sinned. He was not 100% God until after his resurrection because it tells us that after he was raised from the dead, then all power in heaven and earth was put in him. Then God placed him over all principalities and powers, not when he walked this earth as a man. He walked as a man that he might be tempted like as we are, yet without sin, that we know we have an example. We know that if he done it, we can do it. We know that he came in the flesh for two reasons. One was to be the Lamb of God that was sacrificed to take away the sin of the world. Two, he came as a man to show me and you that it is possible for man by the Spirit of God coming into him in a measure and living in him like it did Jesus for us to overcome sin and not give in to the sin nature, not to give in to the carnal mind. And so Paul is saying here in Romans 8 and 10, and if Christ be in you, that is the resurrected Christ. That is that spirit of the resurrected Christ. That and there was a measure of this poured out on Pentecost. We don't have this like they had it in the early church. But God is telling us there is a restoration. There is coming a move of the Spirit and this thing is upon us and we are going to receive a greater measure of the Spirit of Christ to be able to come forth in His mind, in His will, in the fruit of the Spirit, to live by His Word. But He says here that if the Spirit of Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. I don't know any of you out there that your sin nature is dead. I don't know any of you out there that your carnal mind is dead. I don't know it. Uh, I've never experienced that. I have served God for 47 years. God has given me faith. He's given me uh, a measure of His nature. There has been times that I have battled against the sin nature, and if I cry out to God, He will help me. But the sin nature still exists. It still tempts. It still wars against your mind. It still wars against your life. The enemy is there, especially if you are called of God to destroy you, to cause you to mess up, to cause you uh, to give up, to cause you to turn from following God. That is the devil's purpose, is to destroy you, to keep you from becoming a vessel that Christ can live in, that you can be tested and tried, and the Lord can learn to trust you 
and find that you are a vessel that he can place uh, authority and dominion and power in and he can trust you uh, to do the right thing, not to misuse his word or his power, but to allow the Christ to live in you and work in you and walk in you. So Paul is saying here in Romans 8 and 10, And if the Christ be in you, the spirit, uh, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, I've heard many people quote this 11th verse in Romans 8. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He didn't say if it come up on you. He didn't say if you feel His presence. Uh, he said if it comes in and takes, uh, it's a boat in you. If it dwells in you, if it dwells in you, if you are that temple and that tabernacle of God that I was talking about last week, so many people, as I've said, have received salvation. They've received Christ as their Savior, but they have never made Him Lord of their life. They have never submitted to Him and cried out to Him for that uh, that Holy Ghost, that nature and spirit of the resurrected Christ to come in and begin to give them strength and wisdom and knowledge and understanding and victory over the carnal mind, victory over the sin nature. You can't be dead to sin in your own goodness. You can't be dead to sin in your own desire to serve God. You have got to have the spirit of a resurrected Christ come in and destroy this sin nature, put it to death. Romans the 6th chapter teaches us this. Romans the 6th chapter is not water baptism. Water baptism does not make you dead to sin. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is what makes you dead to sin. Well, Brother Metter, I've received the Holy Ghost, but you have not received this measure of the resurrected Christ that makes your body dead to sin. Any of you out there dead to sin, you let me know. Well, Brother Metter, I don't practice sin. Neither do I. Neither do I. I don't practice sin, but the sin nature is still there. The sin nature is still there, and it is going to fight against you. It is going to war against you. It is going to try to cause you to do all manner of evil. It is going to tempt you through... Uh, the devil's going to tempt you through the lust of your own flesh. He's going to tempt you through your own carnality. When Jesus came out of that wilderness where he had been tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, it wasn't just after he came out. He was tempted. He was tried for 40 days and 40 nights. And the temptation in the wilderness we read about, that was the culmination. That was the climax. That was the last thing. The devil tried to offer Jesus, but all those 40 days that he was in that wilderness fasting and praying, he was being taught of God about things pertaining to the kingdom. He was being taught of God the things that he was going to do, the miracles, the deliverance, all the things that uh, he was going to be ministering, how God was going to be using him and revealing himself in him. And somebody just asked me the other day, do you believe Jesus done miracles when he was a boy? No, I don't. 
I do not believe that. I know there's books in the Apocrypha that talks about Jesus doing miracles when he was a boy. I don't believe it. It's not Bible. It's not because uh, the Word of God in John, the second chapter, talks about uh, the beginning of miracles. Uh, I believe that's where it is. Let me see if I can get over there, see if I can get my concordance to work this time. Uh, and let me go to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Get over there and see. Uh, well, for some reason, my concordance didn't want to. There it goes. <coughs> let me see if I can find the Scripture I'm looking for. It talks well where he was at the wedding of Cana. And, okay, verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. It didn't say he done miracles when he was a boy. It said this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. And this was a witness to show people that he was chosen to be the Christ, the Messiah, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. So he done these signs as a witness that he was the Messiah that was to come, that he would become the Christ. So, no, I don't believe that he done miracles when he was a boy. Uh, I don't believe that he was endued with the power to do miracles when he was a boy because after he was tried, after he fasted those 40 days, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, if you go to Luke 4, uh, let me see if I can get over there, and I'm pretty sure it's verse uh, chapter 4 and verse 14, if I remember right, that he returned, yeah, and after, after his fast, and it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And uh, he returned in power. He returned into a th in authority. He returned uh, out of the temptation with that power of miracles and deliverance. And that's when he went into the temple and took up the role of the prophet Isaiah and began to read uh, about all that he was anointed to do. So I don't believe he was anointed to do it before then. I do not. But you, uh, like I said, people, you got to make up your own minds. But in verse 11, and I've heard people quote this of Romans the 8th chapter, verse 11, but if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. So here is enough power to raise a body from the dead. But he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So if the quickening or the life-giving power of the Spirit of Christ is not dwelling in you, you don't have what raised Jesus from the dead. It says, Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. It didn't say that it come on you and raised you up. It said that it would dwell in you. Therefore, brother, verse 12, Therefore, brother, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you through the Spirit 
do mortify or put to death the deeds of this body, ye shall live. And last week I read a lot of the deeds of the body that people that are confessing Christ, they're still doing because their body's not dead to sin. You're not dead to that sin nature. So, uh, when he raised up Jesus from the dead, I'm going to take you to Ephesians, the first chapter, and I'm going to show you what he done in him. This is where all power in heaven and earth was imparted unto him. It wasn't before he was resurrected. It was after. Ephesians 1 and 19 through 23. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the work or what he wrought, the work that he wrought in Christ when that mighty power entered into him and resurrected him and it says which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, right hand means power, in heavenly places are in spiritual realms, far above all principality. You go back to Colossians 1, where I read last week in 13 through 17 or 18, and it tells you all the principalities, all the powers, all the dominions, everything. He gave him dominion over it. In verse 21 of Ephesians 1, it says, Far above all principality and all power and all might and all dominion for every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, or that word world transfers into age. So not only in the age where Jesus is living, but also in the age to come. And it put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So he gave him total power, total dominion, total authority over all creation, over all principalities, powers. And that's what he gave man in the beginning. That's what he gave man in the beginning. And if you go to Psalms, the 8th chapter, and you read uh, verses 3 through 8, and it says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man? That thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visited him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. See, he didn't send Jesus out here over the angels. He made him a little lower than the angels. He made him like us. He made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor after his resurrection. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and all the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the path of the sea. This is where God created man in the beginning. He lost that power by disobedience. He lost the power of spiritual death. It went into Satan's hands. But when Jesus died and paid for our sins with his body and his blood and his soul, and you just have to go to Isaiah 
53 and 10 where it says, When thy soul was made an offering for sin. I'm not going to try to explain what you believe. I'm not going to try to explain what you've been told. I just preach the Word of God. I just preach what the Word says, and I believe what the Word says, that his soul was made an offering for sin. And when he was resurrected, he was resurrected in extreme and total power, dominion, and authority, and given uh, total dominion over all God's creation, over every demon, sickness, <coughs> disease, all creation. Well, Brother Metter, he had that before uh, he died. But the thing he didn't have was the power over spiritual death. He had power over natural death, but here he conquered spiritual death and arose with the keys of hell and death. He conquered spiritual death, so man was no longer afraid of spiritual death, and he purchased eternal life. Well, I see our time is about gone again. Man, it's amazing how time gets away. We thank you for joining us. I pray this Word is being a great blessing to you, bringing great strength and wisdom in your life, and we look forward to seeing you next week at the same time. May God bless you.